I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin County Medical Center, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin County Medical Center with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. Welcome to this edition of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. Dr. David Hilden is your host. Good morning to you, doctor. Good morning, Denny. I know you're going to be off and running to the hospital this morning. Indeed, I am. I'm working. I'm on a long stretch of days in the hospital, but that's okay. Keeps me out of trouble. And we have, uh, this is going to be kind of an, another open line show, so if you get your general health questions ready for the doctor, that would be great, either by phone or by uh, text, so an open line show. But I know that uh, you, we're going to be having a special guest via the phone, and one week from today... Indeed, uh, indeed we are. There's a big game coming up yes. in one week. And we're going to be down in the Cambria Gallery doing the show from there one week from today. That'll be fun. Yeah. It'll be a little different venue for us. It's right down there on uh, here downtown the Minneapolis. Street level. So we'll get to see the early birds who are up and about walking on a cold um, um, Minnesota morning, maybe those who are getting up, getting ready to go to breakfast or something. Yeah. We're, we're going to be downstairs at, uh, doing the show live from there, and it'll be an open line show just like today. So we so we got uh, plenty of uh, opportunity to answer your health questions. And I know the hospital at Hennepin is uh, preparing for the Super Bowl. Any particular problems that arise uh, during this week and certainly that day, and that's one of the reasons uh, Dr. Hick is going to be joining Indeed. Us. We're going to talk to jo- Dr. John Hick via um, the phone because um, he is in charge of our planning for the Super Bowl. And so um, we've called him. He's on the line. Uh, John Hick, good to have you on the show. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Good to be here. I'm doing great. So John's been on with us before. And first of all, let me just kind of set it up for listeners. Then I'm going to ask you a couple questions, John. So Dr. Yeah. H- Dr. Hick's um, in charge, basically, in my opinion. He is. Uh, he's the... Um, helping us out with emergency preparedness because this Super Bowl is unique in that the stadium is across the street from our hospital. So I want to tell you, John, what kind of or ask you, what kind of preparations have you had to do in preparation for this big event that's literally a once in a lifetime thing right across the street from our hospital? Yeah, great, great question, Dave. And I, I wouldn't say that I'm in charge. Uh, there's a really large, you know, group of folks that have been doing a tremendous amount of work on this. You know, for over a year, we've been working on the logistics and security issues and other issues with the city and a lot of other stakeholders. But this is very unique, you know, and no other Super Bowl, uh, aside from when we hosted in 92, has a stadium been this close to a major trauma center. And so it creates a lot of uh, traffic and other issues for us. And so we're, you know, really we're concerned about game day traffic. We're trying to make sure that we preserve access for, you know, our patients and our staff and make sure that parking's available. And so a lot of those basic logistics are, are kind of the crux of things. We also want to make sure that um, the NFL is able to adequately secure their perimeter without, you know, interfering too much with ambulances getting to the hospital and 
um, you know, other things like that. So there's been a, a lot of things that uh, we've had to do in order to make sure that we've got the staff in, in place that we need, that staff that sometimes is called in from home for emergencies is actually at the hospital that day, you know, ready to go uh, just in case they can't make it in because of traffic. Uh, we've had to add a lot of extra ambulances on the streets because of the amount of traffic congestion downtown and some of the street closures uh, otherwise would make our response times a little longer and just a number of other things. And, and it's just a great opportunity to, to test a lot of systems and put a lot of things into place that hopefully we you know, won't need. But uh, on the off chance that we do, it's best to be prepared and have those relationships built uh, in advance. John, how are you going to ensure that, you mentioned the ambulances, how are you going to ensure that people, just I'm talking regular folks that live here not, or, or guests visiting for the game, how are you going to ensure that their emergency needs are met, that, that ambulances are going to be able to get through and get in, things like that? So part of that is just a matter of uh, adding enough ambulances. So if we do get slowed down by you know, traffic, that um, it's not something that we're coming from you know, halfway across the county to get to that call. And so, you know, more ambulances, and we've asked our partner agencies, Alina, uh, Ridgeview, and North, uh, to assist us. So they actually are going to be more routinely covering parts of areas that we usually serve out in the suburbs uh, so that we can pull more resources and concentrate on downtown. In the really congested areas like Nicollet Mall, we have emergency medical responders. Uh, we've partnered with Minneapolis Fire and Minneapolis Police, and have ATVs and uh, Minneapolis police officers on bikes and, you know, other folks that can access, you know, people with emergency medical needs in a crowd. So we hope we've put the things in, in place that we need to as traffic situations and other things evolve. Uh, there's a multi-agency coordination center that's going to be monitoring all that, and we'll do our best to adjust our coverage and our resources uh, as we need to to make sure we're in, in the best the best shot that we have to, you know, get a 911 call or help as rapidly as we normally would. And that sounds terrific. Now, what about um, uh, the, the, the normal operations of the hospital? Um, are, you, are we going to be completely able to do the things we were doing um, prior to the big event next week? Or what contingencies are you putting in place for that? I guess, um, have, you, have you looked at other Super Bowls and does hospital census go up and things like that? Interestingly, although 911 calls go up slightly, most of the time hospital volumes don't go up very much. At the same time, those aren't very good predictors just because there's never been a hospital that's this close. And so we don't know exactly what to expect. We're staffing for what we call summer staffing levels or maximum staffing levels in the emergency departments and housewide so that, you know, every bed is basically, you know, ready to go and, and staffed. And we've added additional staff. Uh, over the weekend and, and the nights preceding, uh, just because it, it's going to be busy. Bars are going to be open. A lot of people are going to be in town. Um, and so we expect to see some additional volume at HCMC. We just don't know, you know exactly how much. But for that whole week, you know, preceding, our goal is just to maintain normal operations and be prepared for uh, some additional surge capacity with additional staff and resources on site. John, what are you doing to prepare for the unthinkable? If if there is um, just a huge influx of patients, either due to a weather event or a mass casualty event or, heck, influenza, <laughs> what are you doing for like a, a, a more uncommon event like that? You bet. And, and the flu definitely will be still taxing our resources uh, across the metro area during the, the Super Bowl week and Super Bowl day. 
Um, no question. We, we worry about mass casualty events from a variety of different sources and a variety of different types. And so, you know, working with Minneapolis Fire and Minneapolis Police, uh, we've done a number of uh, exercises to, to get ready for a variety of different scenarios and talk about, you know, what we would do and how we would react and what resources we would bring. Uh, we've done a lot of things to protect the hospital um, during, you know, the week leading to the Super Bowl. We'll be, you know, checking bags at the door and, and just making sure that we're keeping a really close eye on our entrances, controlling a lot of entrances that are usually open, uh, just to make sure that our visitors and our clients and our patients are safe, uh, you know, and, and well protected and that we can, you know, make sure we have a safe campus that's ready to respond. And we've also put in place a lot of other things. Uh, there's a, a number of supplies that are, you know, in town or at the hospital ready to go uh, just in case something happens. We've done a lot of planning work with our Health and Human Services colleagues and CDC and uh, the FBI and other agencies to look at, you know, contingencies and, you know, if this scenario would unfold on anthrax attack, for instance, you know, what does that mean? What are the logistics? What are we going to need here versus what do we have? Uh, so there's a lot of work that goes in on the background to just make sure that we've really tried to think carefully about uh, the potential scenarios. Now, you know, if something would happen close to Hennepin right after the game, um, it, it's going to be tough because of traffic to get, you know, a lot of staff and resources in, which is why we've, you know, tried to make sure that ahead of time we've got a lot of additional staff and resources on site and, and we're ready to respond to those needs. John, how did you learn to do all this? Uh, now, and the reason I asked that question is that, you know, HCMC has been the center um, for other uh, events, the 35W Bridge Collapse, the Minnehaha Academy um, explosion. And we have a command center that I have witnessed. I'm not a part of but I have witnessed. And it's, it is absolutely a thing of beauty to see the command center um, go and to see all of you and your colleagues respond to a bigger event. How did we get that expertise that's a great question. I, I really trace a lot of that back to a grant that was provided by the federal government called the Metropolitan Medical Response System Grant that started in 1999. That was the first time that, that the fire department and uh, emergency medical services and the hospitals and public health really sat down and understood each other's needs and resources and, and kind of how things would happen during an event uh, and realized that we had a lot of limitations. And so in 2002, we formed the Metro Hospital Compact, which is an agreement among all the hospitals in the area to share resources and staff and accept patient transfers and assist each other during evacuations and disasters, which was one of the first of its kind in the nation. And so, you know, I think I've just accumulated, you throw enough stuff at a wall and, and enough stuff sticks. And so I've just been fortunate to you know, participate in enough of those and the hospital preparedness program grants that followed the uh, MMRS and continue to this day to sustain a lot of preparedness activities in the area related to healthcare. Uh, so I've just kind of, you know, accumulated bits and pieces and put those together over the years. And the hospital compact is, you know, really a, a thing of beauty and something that I think, you know, we should be proud of. Minnesota in general has a very uh, forward-looking, you know, healthcare coalition-based model regionally that, uh, a lot of other states in the nation have looked at. So I think we've been very fortunate. We have really good relationships here in Minnesota. Uh, we're able to build on those, learn from each other, and, and work well with our partners. It's amazing. It just takes communication. <laughs> yep. It, communication and partners is what it's all about. It, it really is all about relationships because you can have the plans, and the plans are good, but you know, once once you get into an incident, a lot of those plans don't necessarily apply exactly. And so then you got to get together with the people you know and say, okay, 
you know, what are we going to do and, and adapt to that based on, you know, the tools that you have and the strategies that you know. And that's what we did during the bridge collapse and, and uh, during other incidents because uh, nothing, no incident is exactly like one before, but you always find enough common things to adapt to. So, uh, you know, you, you never want to say that you're, you know, prepared, um, but uh, you want to strike a balance between being prepared enough and, and not being prepared enough. And, and I think we're there. I think we're in a good place, but I hope we don't have to have that tested. Exactly. We're ready to go. HCMC is open for business. We're ready for uh, to care for the people of Minnesota, the visitors. It's going to be a great event. Dr. John Hick, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for your expertise, and thanks for getting us ready for next week. Yeah, yeah absolutely, Dave. Thanks for having me so much. We're looking forward to an exciting week. It, it really is a once-in-a-lifetime, a once-in-a-career event uh, you know, show the, show the world what we have, uh, even if what we have is cold weather. So <laughs> that's too bad the Vikings aren't playing. Have a great that's day. That's okay. Thanks, right. John. Talk yeah. to you later. All right. Very good. Let's take this break. We have more show to come. It's going to be an open line show from this point on. Uh, we have folks on the line. We have texters as well. So there's a line open. If you want to fill it with your general health question for the doctor, 651-989-9226. Or if it's easier, send a text, 81807. It's overcast 17 degrees here on 830 WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. This is an open line show, and if you're new to the show, thanks, first of all, for joining us. And uh, Dr. Hilden is your host answering your questions. It's, it's open lines. You drive the show by phone or by text. Or as you say, by tweet, or, if you if you want to do that. Or by tweet. If you want to tweet me, it's drdavidhilden. Put the hashtag Healthy Matters if you want. You don't have to. But uh, do send it to me at drdavidhilden if you want to tweet me your question. Very good. Let's uh, go to the phones. First of all, folks have been waiting. Uh, Dick in Minneapolis is uh, first up here. Dick, uh, what's your question for the doctor? I was wondering if you can get shingles on your leg. Oh, I got, yeah. I got a big spot down by my foot. I had shingles, you know, 15, 20 years ago. On my side, like you talk about, but this one's a spot down here right in front of my ankle on my foot. You sure can get it there. Uh, Dick, does it look like the previous one? You know, it usually starts out with a little burning sensation, redness, and then the little... It's red, but it does no itch, no nothing. No blisters yet? No nope. little vesicles? No blisters. Um, it could be shingles. It could be something else. Okay. But if, it, if, it, um, if it's a red pot patch, particularly if you get those little crusty things, kind of okay. like chicken pox, you can certainly get it on your leg. Okay. You can get it anywhere, actually, you know, it's because um, it travels down the nerves. Um, it's a little less commonplace on your, by your ankle, but it's certainly possible. You don't have to do anything about it if it's not hurting or itching, um, or, or, or it is, um, I would just lightly put a little gauze over it or something if it's bothering you. Uh, if you catch it very, very early, um, you can go to your doctor and they can give you a medication which might shorten the duration of it just a little bit. Can you get shingles more than once? Yeah. yeah. What it, about it the shot? It can reactivate elsewhere. Yeah. Okay. What a- it's a good idea to get the shot. And that, right. That's helpful. And you might want to do that, Dick, um, particularly if you keep getting it. Because the shingles isn't a new infection. It's, it's living inside your body. And um, and it just gets reactivated. It's probably been there for 50 years, that kind of thing. And it just reactivates. And it sits in the spinal cord, um, and it, it reactivates in one of the nerves. Now, this could be something else, Dick. It could be an eczema. It could be a dermatitis. It could be um, something else as well. Um, if it doesn't go away, um, you could just try some hydrocortisone cream or something on it, and that uh, might might take care of it. But if it never goes away, just go ahead, go see your doctor. But certainly, you can get shingles there. All right. Uh, thank you, Dick. Let's go to Dale, who's calling from Waconia. Dale, you're on CCO with the doctor. 
Yes, doctor, I am 70 years old. I've got an enlarged prostate. I'm on finasteride and tamsulosin. Are there other alternatives to controlling the prostate in those two pills? Those, Dale, are the best two, um, or those two classes. The second one you said is tamsulosin. goes under the brand name Flomax. Um, I always Can I just a little aside? Sure. Prostate problems are you, are you have trouble urinating and you know it goes kind of slow and so the the geniuses who are name or the marketers who are naming medications called it Flomax. I don't know that just strikes me funny. But Tamsulosin it is it works in the blood vessels to and it relaxes the the um, the plumbing if you will so you can urinate more. It does not shrink your prostate. The second one you mentioned is finasteride. That is a, a hormonal treatment that actually shrinks the prostate. Flomax works more quickly. The finasteride takes a few weeks, but it does so by shrinking the size of your prostate. So they're kind of the one-two punch of prostate um, management. There aren't a ton of other things. Some people, um, I can't endorse this because it's not medically proven, but some people like some saw palmetto. They think that does something. It is not proven at all. But what the heck, if it helps you, you can try that. That's not a prescription. You can just get it over the counter. But other than that, the, the treatments are not, med, not in pills. They are surgical. So if you're really having trouble urinating, if it's dribbling a lot, if the stream is very um, weak, if it's hard to get the stream started, if you're standing at the urinal for an hour you know, and all the guys behind you are starting to tap on your shoulder and say, hey, what's up, if it's taking a long time, you can get um, – a urologist can do a procedure called a TURP, T-U-R-P transurethral resection of the prostate. It's sort of like, not to put too fine a point on it, it's sort of like a roto-rooter job. It, it, they go in there and, they, and they, they surgically remove the inner part of the prostate. And they can do that through your urethra because you urinate right through the prostate. It's like your urethra is like a spaghetti noodle that goes directly through the middle of the prostate. And so if that little tunnel where the urine comes out gets too small, you can't urinate. So they go and chip away bits of the prostate. I'm making it sound very crude, but it's highly effective. It does work. So if, it's, if the two medications you're on, Dale, are failing to work and, or they used to work and they no longer are, you can see a urologist about that procedure. They might have some other things to offer as well, but that's kind of the, the standard um, procedure for making your prostate smaller. They won't take it all the way out. That they do for cancer sometimes. Mm-hmm. But they, um, they usually don't just completely remove the whole gland. All right, Dale, thank you. Uh, let's see who's been waiting. Diana is calling from St. Paul. Good morning, Diana. Hi, good morning. I have a question from last week's show. Um, you said there is a type of dementia that mimics um, Parkinson's. I couldn't remember the name of it. Yeah, it's Lewy body. Thanks for listening two weeks in a row, Diana. Um, it's called. <laughs> <laughs> it's it. Um, yeah, it 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 doesn't. It mimics Alzheimer's disease. It it is associated with patients who have Parkinson's. So what you get is patients with Parkinson's disease, which is a, a, a neuromuscular disorder um, characterized by things like movement problems. Um, people with Parkinson's, when it gets severe, have trouble with um, slow motion tremors. Their hands kind of move slowly. Their feet move kind of slowly. They sometimes have a shuffling gait. 
And, um, and so sometimes um, folks tend to fall, uh, have trouble with their walk. Sometimes their facial expressions get kind of droopy and flat. Those are all neuromuscular problems. But Parkinson's has this other component, and it's a loss of memory and a loss of cognitive function. And it's not with everybody, but um, we call it Louie body, and that's spelled capital L-E-W-Y, Louie, L-E-W-Y, Louie body dementia. And Louie bodies, that, that describes um, what the brain cells look like. There's these little Louie bodies, B-O-D-I-E-S, um, inside the brain, probably named after the guy who discovered them. Now, Alzheimer's disease um, is a dementia that that is um, – as a similar presentation, but people with Alzheimer's disease lack the other symptoms of Parkinson's. So those two things are very different. People with Alzheimer's have memory and cognitive problems. They don't have those movement disorders. So if you want more information, look up L-E-W-Y, Lewy Body Dementia. In one minute, we'll have to take a break. Thanks, Diana. I want to alert Catherine. You're going to be first up on the phones, and we'll pick up on some text messages. We have another half hour of the show to go. So if you do not get in either by phone or text, This half hour, we have more time to get your questions answered. And again, uh, everybody, we have a lot of visitors in town. We should tell them uh, they're new to the area. HCMC is open for business. Yep, as we talked to with Dr. John Hick this morning, we are open for business completely. Um, There's just a couple clinics that are open on Sunday morning that might not be open. So if you want more information about um, what's open and what's not, go to hcmc.org. But I am here to tell you that all of our neighborhood clinics will be open. All of the downtown hospital will be open. The emergency department, the clinics, the GI lab, everything. The heart center, everything will be open throughout the whole week. But go to hcmc.org for more information. Good deal. We'll take a break. Be right back for more of the show. Overcast here in the Twin Cities. Temperature reading at 17 degrees. And good morning. Welcome to this portion of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. It's an open line show the rest of the way, which means your general health questions for Dr. David Hilden, your host. And as you can see, doctor, we have uh, callers, we have texters. We do indeed. And do you, want, you want to grab a phone call right away? Yeah, let's do that. I just want to make a couple of uh, little announcements. If you haven't checked out myhealthymatters.org in the last week or two, I did a, a kind of a fluffy post about a day in the life in Minnesota if you're visiting from out of town, you're listening to us here on 830-WCCO. Welcome to Minnesota. Welcome to the bold north. Um, we're proud to be from the north. But anyways, if you want to learn a little bit about uh, um, our show, and uh, go to myhealthymatters.org. You can listen to podcasts of previous shows. You can uh, read up on some of the essays I've written. I've written on things, everything ranging from the flu to high blood pressure to arthritis to apple cider vinegar and even to exercising on a Minnesota lake. So that's at myhealthymatters.org. And if I could just do sure. a little plug, one of my colleagues is going to be on WCCO at 105. With Roshini. With Roshini on Roshini's show. Um, that's Dr. Usma Samadani, who is one of the nation's leading uh, researchers in traumatic brain injury. Um, Usma has been on the show. She's just a fantastic person. She is also a gifted surgeon, but she's really known for her uh, concussion and traumatic brain injury research at HCMC. She's going to be on with Roshini at 105 on uh, 830 this afternoon. So you're going to want to tune in for that. That'll be today. It's it's topical because if she has opinions 
about concussions in football, and I know she has a, her own son plays football, but she has opinions that are a little bit more well-educated than yours and mine. She knows what she's talking about because she literally spends all day studying brains. So 105 today on Roshini's show. She's kind of well-known, too, all the way around the world, too. She is. She's from Beaver Dam, yeah. Wisconsin, uh-huh. but she is known all over the world. All right, good. That's at one. All right, let's go back to the phones. Catherine has been waiting there in Blaine. Uh, thank you, Catherine. What is your question, please? Good morning, Danny. Good morning, morning, Dr. Hilden. Thanks for taking my call, and I love your program. Thank you. Um, Okay, so I wanted to know, what is the difference between influenza A, influenza B, and H3N2, uh, and which one is the most dangerous, or if they're all about the same danger level? Super good questions, Catherine, and thank you for listening um, to the show. I appreciate that a, a whole bunch. Um, influenza is a um, class or a family of viruses. Uh, just like the common colds caused by about 50 different viruses, influenza is caused by different strains of the influenza virus. We call them strains. The main two categories are influenza A and B. Uh, A is by far the more common one. B is a little less common, although we've seen them both this year. B is um, often a little bit later in the season, more late January, February, March, April, whereas A comes earlier, although you can get them both. Within influenza A, there are a whole bunch of subtypes of A. And so when you hear these letters H3N2 or H1N1, those are little – Now we're starting to get kind of into the scientific geekdom stuff. They are little proteins that sit on the virus, the H and the N. They stand for something that I can't remember. Um, But they have – you can have H1, H2, H3, H4. You can have N1, N2. And so you get all these combinations. And the influenza virus is sort of a semi-living thing. It's not like a bacteria, which is a true living organism. Influenza um, is a little semi-living thing. Um, and it has um, all these different subtypes. And it, since it doesn't live very long, it mutates and it changes constantly. And so this year, the most prominent of those influenza A subtypes is H3N2. And it's a nasty one. We haven't seen one this bad in several years, four, five, six years. But seven, eight years ago, there was something that was mis called swine flu. It had nothing to do with hogs and pigs. It was H1N1. That was a horrible one. H3N2 is also pretty bad. And that's the one that's out this year. So even if um, there are more cases and it came earlier and people are a little bit sicker, our hospital was darn near full a few weeks ago and we still have loads of cases. Um, And most of them are H3N2. But that is a subtype of influenza A. And there's all these other subtypes, too. So if you look at like a bar graph of, you know, think of like a bunch of columns on a bunch of bars from your old science days. If you, the longest, tallest bar on the left is H3N2, and then it, they get of, of prevalence, they get smaller and smaller and smaller. So there's a few cases of the other ones. So that's the influenza story. The vaccine only tries to predict ahead of time which which strains are going to be out. And the vaccine this year includes four different types, including three types of influenza A and one type of B, including H3N2. It's a good vaccine. It's not a great vaccine. It has not been a little bit less effective against the H3N2, but it's highly effective against the other strains. So the overall effectiveness is not perfect, but 
it's still better than nothing. So um, the H3N2 strain is in the vaccine, but uh, you should still get your vaccine even now. It's not perfect, but it's it's pretty good. Somebody told me 6,000 people will not die because of the influenza vaccine, even when it's less effective. 6,000 people in the United States will live because of the vaccine. And so people say, well, it's not a very good vaccine this year. 6,000 people is a lot of people who will not die because of the vaccine this year. So go ahead and get it. That's a great question, Catherine, and thank you for listening to the show. Yeah, thanks, Catherine. 651-989-9226. Should we pick up on some uh, text messages? Haven't done any texts yet, so let's go to those. Um, Somebody was commenting, first of all, about um, the, the informative comments that Dr. John Hick made earlier about our emergency preparedness and how that all gets funded. I don't know how it all gets funded, but uh, um, I think a lot of it comes from the NFL, but a lot of it comes from the taxpayers. And, and the, the people of Minnesota have an outstanding emergency response system. And a lot of it comes just from patients who are paying for their services. Okay, here we go for some other things. Uh, Other questions. I found out I have celiac disease, and I knew I was lactose intolerant, so I watched those foods too. Even though I I have wheat and dairy products, my symptoms are returning. Oh, I have cut wheat and dairy products. My symptoms are returning. Symptoms like gas and stomach problems. What else should I be checked for? Celiac disease is gluten sensitivity. It's a real deal. It is most people who think they're sensitive to gluten don't. They might be sensitive to it, but they don't have celiac disease. People with celiac disease, like this texter, really, truly have a problem at, um, where it destroys your intestines. And what I would suggest that if, you're, if you know your diagnosis is correct, in other words, the right blood tests were done, and probably a gastroenterologist did a biopsy of your small bowel to confirm that you have celiac disease, if that's all true, it is probable that you're still getting wheat in, somewhere in your diet. I would. Um, it is. It's a hard thing to cut out. Um, gluten is. It's one thing to just not eat a piece of bread, but if you eat anything in a box or a processed foods, or even just that was prepared with it, or even sometimes fillers in other foods have a little bit of gluten in there. So I would just redouble your efforts to make sure you have cut it out of your diet. That is the treatment of celiac disease. Is simply one hundred percent avoidance of gluten. Um, here we go. What can a person is another text. What can a person do if I can't take the crippling side effects of cholesterol medicine? I tried, tried five different ones. The first thing I would tell people if you're getting side effects of your statin is that you're probably right. They do have they have side effects. They have muscle anything ranging from mild aches and pains all the way to more severe muscle breakdown and liver and kidney problems. That can happen. So the first thing I would do is make sure you need the statin. They are fantastic medications. They, are, they have been shown to make people do better and live longer in the long run, but only certain people. And that in, it used to be 10 years ago or so that we gave statins to darn near everybody. But now we know that it, it, they are helpful to a smaller subset of people. They are people with extraordinarily high bad cholesterol. They are people who have already had heart attacks or have known coronary disease. They are people who have um, like diabetics, people with diabetes. So there are, and there are people with very high risk factors. If you don't have those things, maybe you don't even need the statin. And if if your doctor just insists that you take it and you're not, and you're getting crippling side effects, I think you still have to think about that. Is is that worth it? Yeah. All statins do is reduce your risk of a future event. 
if your day-to-day life is so miserable that you're getting all these side effects, maybe you just want to take your chances. There are other things you can do. You can eat a healthier diet. You can eat more um, fatty oils that are healthy for you, the omega-3s. Fish oil is good for you. Um, Salmon is good for you. Mackerel, you know, those kind of things. Those fishes are good for you. Olive oil is a better choice. Even animal fats are okay with me um, as long as you've got sort of a balanced diet. So look at dietary things, and maybe you don't need a statin. Um, The rest of the cholesterol medicines have not been shown to do much. So if your doctor's got you on niacin or gemfibrozil and all that, chances are you don't need that. All right, let's go back to the phone. J.C. is calling from Minneapolis with a question. What is your question, J.C.? How is it going? First-time caller, long-time listener. Thank you. Um, Doc, I got a question. Um, you were talking about uh, the... Say, J.C., can I interrupt you a minute? Would you turn your radio down, please? Okay, no problem. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. that'll help. Okay, that's, that's better. Thank you. Um, you were talking about the prostate and stuff. Um, I have a weird question. For some reason, I'm not able to pee like I used to, but it's like I can go and I dribble and such, and I can go and sit in the tub and feel, you know, feel just fine. But the minute I get out, I feel like my insides are being torn. Mm. JC, can I, is it okay for you to tell me how old you are? I'm 48. Yeah. So that's because that's kind of what matters. Are you able to urinate normally um, when you're trying to? You can stand there and urinate? I um, I dribble a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have um, pads for that. I seem like I'm changing them like yeah. almost every hour. <laughs> Not quite, but. You understand what I'm I do. Saying. Well, first of all, thank you for listening to the show all these years. I appreciate that. Um, it could well be a prostate problem. 48 is young, but not too young um, to have problems. And if you're, you're clearly having some symptoms. So I would see a urologist. They can do blood tests. They can do ultrasounds, non-invasive tests like that to see if it's your prostate. It could be medications. It could be um, something in your bladder. It could be, you know, things like that. It doesn't have to be the prostate. So I would want to make sure we get a complete history, have a urologist see you. But if you're having incontinence and dribbling and at the age of 48, that's something that very likely has some treatments that will help you. There are medications to help that. There are other procedures that can help that. It is possible um, that your prostate is enlarged. It's possible that it's got a cancer in there. Those are all possible, but it's, uh, I, I just wouldn't be able to say. But do go see a urologist. They have things that can help you. I'm almost certain of that, that there are things that can help you so you don't have to have that full sensation, so you don't have to have that dribbling, so that you don't have to wear pads and, and, the, and the like. Um, if you do have to wear pads, that's okay. A lot of people do. A lot of guys do. But I think they might have some treatments that you could that you could um, get benefit from. Very good. Let's take a break. A quick one. We'll have more show to come, so stay with us. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters open line show today. We have callers, we have textures, and I know we have a, a lot more to uh, the textures especially to, to help out. 
Let's take a couple of these text messages um, here. Let's see. What are some treatments for peripheral neuropathy? I've been told nothing much can be done. I do not have diabetes. Can medications cause it? Um, Yes, medications can cause peripheral neuropathy. Um, uh, Some vitamin deficiencies can, like vitamin B12. The HIV can cause it. Um, uh, Alcohol use causes it. And indeed, uh, diabetes can cause it. So if you're not diabetic... um, it could be uh, a, it could be um, any of those things I just mentioned, or it could be a mechanical problem. In other words, a pinched nerve or or something that is compressing your spinal cord in your lower back, because the longest nerve in your body is the ones that run to your feet. They start way up in your back, and these things are two or three feet long. A nerve uh, that's literally three feet long. It goes from your back. If it's getting pinched in your back then it could be causing neuropathy in your feet. So to this texter, um, look into all those things. Uh, see if you're vitamin deficient. See if, you've got, if you're anemic. See if you've got calcium or magnesium or iron deficiency. Um, see if you've got pinched nerves in your back. They can do that with x-rays and images. Those are some suggestions for that. If, if no one can find the problem and you still have neuropathy, then there are some medications that can sort of help. I'm not going to oversell them to tell you that they're going to give you complete relief, but they can sort of help. Also, make sure you're wearing good shoes. Okay, let's see. I got another one here. Um, what are the differences in strep A, B, and C? We have we are mm. in an alphabet soup here. We I were guess. talking about influenza H1, H2, and H3, and I had another texter who's obviously got a good sense of humor said that sounds like the interstate system in Hawaii, <laughs> which it is. The interstate has an H in front of it in Hawaii. Um, but uh, strep A, B, and C. Strep is a bacteria. Flu is a virus. Strep is a bacteria that also has several strains to it. Strep A is the one that causes strep throat. Strep B and C are, are, can cause other things. And, um, and so they're just various strains of streptococcus. That's the name of the bacteria. Um, let's see. Here's another text that says, gluten is also found in barley, rye, and oat. Thank you, Texter. That is absolutely correct. The person with celiac disease has a great deal of things to look into mm. to see if you're getting gluten in any of those other sources. Another Texter says, we just found out that my 85-year-old father has MRSA. Some people say that as MRSA. Can others get it via the air? What do we need to do when he goes home? MRSA is, stands for methicillin-resistant staphylococcus aureus. That's a mouthful. It's just a staph infection that is resistant to our, many of our antibiotics. Not all of them, but many. It's a, it is a consequence of our, our lives that we prescribe too many antibiotics. And so now the, the, antibi- the bacteria morphed into something like a superbug. No, you can't get it through the air to the texture. So that part's Okay. MRSA is passed via contact. So people who have it can get an infection in your skin. Um, Some people, many people, have carry it in your nasal cavity, believe it or not. Um, And and so – if for your your father, the person who has it, you don't have to avoid them like, you know, put them in quarantine or anything. But I would – when you have a person at home, you can't come in – you can't completely avoid contact with a person. So it's – uh, wash your hands a lot. That's my main thing. And um, if he's got exposed skin, cover that up. If there's an infected area of skin, cover that up. Um, but it's difficult when someone's at home. Wash your hands a great deal. That's that's what I would suggest in that. All right. Uh, we're coming up to about a minute or so of the show to go. And we, we I want to impart more to our listeners, again, with the 
a big game, the Super Bowl, one week from today, that Hennepin County Medical Center. And we, if you missed the first part of the show when you had your conversation with Dr. John Hick, uh, the, the hospital and the clinics are really prepared. We're prepared. We have, um, we've been planning this for literally over a year. Um, and we have safety people, we have medical people, we have people like Dr. Hick from the emergent, and we're ready to go. The place will be open, the hospital's open, the emergency department is open, they'll be running rigs, all ambulances, all over the metro area. We are ready to go. We're ready to go to care for you. We're ready to care for you if you are a visitor. We're ready to go in case something bad happens, and there's a lot of visitors who need our services. We are just simply ready to go. It will be a, as safe a situation as can be planned for. And not only that, I have the best seat in the house for the for the big game. I actually am looking at U.S. Bank Stadium from my office. I have a panoramic view of the whole place. So if you want more information, go to hcmc.org. Of course, go to my blog site at myhealthymatters.org. I'm going to write two or three posts this week, so you're going to want to check in at myhealthymatters.org. And again, we'll be broadcasting from the uh, Cambridge Gallery one week from today. And another open line It'll be an show. open line show, yeah. a little different venue for us, but it's an open line show. Good. We'll see you back here one week from today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.